Kia ora and welcome to Jules from NZ, a weekly podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Kia ora, Hare mai. welcome back to Jules from NZ, Aroha Nui, it's so great to see you today. Today I want to talk about something that is in most Kiwis' blood, something we've all watched and got swept up in at one time or other, if, even if we're not big fans of it, it's rugby. The Rugby World Cup is on right now and that means it's time we threw a ball around and kicked this topic into touch. Treasures from the Vault The Rugby World Cup is an event that New Zealand watches with great excitement, especially now New Zealand is in the quarters, although that was always going to happen for our All Blacks, of course. The All Blacks are our national team and rugby is our national sport. I know I haven't really chatted about rugby before or even much sport at all and I don't know how many people listening are actually sports fans, so I thought I'd start by breaking down briefly what rugby actually is. So for starters, they say it was invented when a student in England picked up a football and ran with it. Webb Ellis was his name. Uh, Obviously not scoring any points that day, but making a huge impact worldwide, especially here in Aotearoa. It's tough, intensely physical, as players like throw themselves at each other, trying to get the ball from their half to behind the other team's try line. Yes, I said try, not touchdown. Try worth five points. You also get points for conversion with a tr- of a try, which is like kicking it over the posts and between the uprights. Think of a giant standing H and you've kind of got the right idea. Uh, two extra points if you get that. Um, there's also drop goals, which is three points for having a cheeky punt at the goal if you're just on the field. Three points if you're awarded a penalty kick when the other team does something naughty. And if you nail it, through those uprights. It's a lot of kicking, right? And it's even more running. The field of grass they run around on is 70 by 100 metres. Still sounds a little bit like football so far, doesn't it? But wait, there's more. There's aggressive sounding terms to describe some of the more complicated rules regarding what happens when a ball is on the ground or goes out of bounds or how players can get position back. You know, um, without going into intense detail, like super intense detail, I'll give you a bit of a general. Ruck is using your feet to get to a ball on the ground and not being terribly fussy about what else or who else you hit with your feet. Uh, scrum is eight players contesting possession of the ball all bound together kind of in a tight knot of muscle like pushing to get at it line out uh, the teams line up side by side and a ball is kind of thrown down the middle from the outside of the field lines and teams jump up to get hands on it and more yep I said more when a player carrying the ball is held by one or more opponents and then One or more of their teammates all bind on two and all of these players are on their feet and all of them are moving towards the goal. So it's just like a giant massive pile of people moving vaguely forward. That's that's a mall. It's the game is nuts and exciting and there's nothing like it. And now you're just starting to get an idea of how hard this game is on the body. There are actually 15 players on a field per team at any given time and plenty of spares for when the going gets really tough and 
the bleeding that you inevitably get means you have to stop for a second. The players are generally grouped into forwards and backs, forwards being big bulky doorstops and bulldozer types. They're called more specifically loose head prop, hooker, tight head prop, second row, two of them, blind side flanker, open side flanker, and number eight. Really original, that last one. Their jobs are all individual to their role, but basically overall they tackle, push hard, and control what happens inside scrums. The backs are those nifty little buggers you know that run like the crappers um they're scrum half fly half left wing inside center outside center right wing and fullback fullback's my favorite um they pick up that ball from wherever they get it and run stop it from going out of touch out of bounds get the ball as far away from their own try line as they're protecting at all times and if they're the fullback quite often their job is to like kick the ball back down the field again and then everybody else runs after it again it's kind of fun. Um, so now you know a little bit about what rugby is, back to what I started talking about. Running from Friday 20th September to Saturday 2nd of November is Rugby World Cup 2009, hosted this time in Japan. It's run every four years since 1987, making this the ninth different edition of the tournament. We're nearing the end of the tournament and things are heating up, obviously, Um, Being a fan of rugby, that's what I want to talk to you about this year and previous years because the World Cup has never been without controversy in some form or other. So who plays in it? Well, 20 spots are available now. It only used to be 16, but we've opened it up a bit since then. So the teams that actually play are South Africa, Namibia, United States, Canada, Japan, England, France, Georgia, Ireland, Italy, Russia, Scotland, Wales, Australia, Fiji, New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga, Argentina, and Uruguay. And out of the 20 teams that have competed over the past few Cups, only four teams have ever won before. Australia, South Africa, England, and New Zealand. Without getting too deep into why, there might also be some some good reasons for this other than that those four are the greatest rugby teams in the world, there is some thought that it's not a super fair fight. Not because of any kind of cheating as such or anything that happens on the field, but because of some of the rules governing who you can play for and what kind of contracts you can expect to return to after playing for your country. You know, John Campbell opened my eyes to a world of poverty and unfairness in the rugby like professional rugby scene that I've never thought would exist. Those small Pacific countries training hard in facilities that have long seen better days. They train hard and they love their country. And places like Samoa, for instance, which John Campbell covers, turn out some of superstars of the game. So why aren't those superstars playing for Samoa? Well, that's because at present, World Rugby's eligibility laws restrict players from representing more than one nation after making their test debut. So basically, if they do that, they can never use their talents to make good money playing elsewhere for other countries that have money to pay them to play. Having to turn down money in other countries to play in their home jersey because of a pride of wanting to play for them, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. And you can understand why some professionals never actually play for their country when you hear that. It's another cause that New Zealand rugby is fighting for against bigger fish, but that's what we do here. And I'm going to link some of those articles in my description for anybody who wants to read more because I am sort of getting a little bit off track. So I said this will be the ninth edition of the tournament. 
using a grouping system called pools, they decide the opening matches and who kind of goes through to the quarters. There's been a lot of changes in how the World Cup openers were run since 1987 when it all started. Each time we made alterations to the system to improve it, different point system, whether people qualify automatically or not, ways of grouping, or with their own flaws as we work to find something as fair as possible. The last cup in 2015 hosted in England actually drew criticism quite a lot for during the polls three years before the World Cup. As what happened is the world's rankings changed a lot in those three years and the world's rankings are basically used to determine some of the the, the ways that the polls are made and England ended up in a pool of death, you know, which is basically a term to explain a really tough pool with Australia and Wales, which are both incredible teams. So England was hosting and they suffered a horrific outcome for the hosting nation as they failed to even move on. It's the first time in the tournament's history that a solo host nation failed to progress to the knockout stages. It was emotional to say the least, but New Zealand won, of course, so I'm kind of okay with it. So as you can imagine, they left it a bit longer this time to pick the polls for 2019, but it was still done in May 2017. New Zealand ended up, after a super complicated system of bands and things I'm not going to try and explain here because I only actually understand half of it myself, um, in Pool B alongside South Africa, Italy, Namibia and Canada. First glance, looks like a nice pull, until you remember that while New Zealand has won the trophy three times, South Africa has won it twice. And we have a pretty spotty history with South Africa and rugby. For some of you, this may bring images of placards, flower bombs and protesting as it rightly took over our nation. And I imagine I'm not telling any of you something new when I speak of South Africa and apartheid being a thing. Up until the 1970s, the apartheid system saw South Africa not allowing people of different races to play sports together. And therefore, our team, as we'd picked it, was unable to go. We weren't sending our best. We were only sending what they considered superior. And as a country, we were not okay with it. In 1976, South Africa relented and allowed us to tour a mixed-race team, but it was way too little and far too late. There was a massive pressure to cut ties with South Africa rugby completely. Protests sprang up, and when Springboks visited New Zealand in 1981, things were violent and extreme, and police were taking a full role in the front of it. Um, gaining controversy basically in New Zealand history because of the way it was handled. You know, barbed wire and police batons were commonplace. So we Kiwis got creative. The final test was actually buzzed by a Cessna plane, dropping flower bombs and pamphlets. Sadly, we actually stunned one of our own with prop Gary Knight taking a flurry-filled hit, but the point was made. New Zealand was angry. A tour to South Africa proposed by the New Zealand Rugby Football Union was stopped when it was sued by New Zealand lawyers claiming that such a tour would break its constitution and they won. Um, of course we still do play with South Africa now, things are a little different now, um, but we play in the Tri-Nations now when it was us and Australia and then it changed to the championship when it opened up to include Argentina and we usually win that too. 
And although I promised myself I wouldn't get political necessarily on this podcast, aiming for more of an educational kind of stance, I do think that any racism or any treating of people as lesser or inferior to yourself is complete bollocks. And I'm glad that we were so vocal about this as a country. I'm proud of us for what we did. When it comes to rugby, there's a little bit of primal snarl deep within us that is triggered when we play South Africa. I really like to beat their butts, and I really hate to lose. So, imagine how pleased I was to see us stomp all over South Africa in our first game, 23-13. to Italy demolished Canada and Namibia with two games in a row, and so did we with a 63-0 victory over Canada and a 71-9 over Namibia. Meanwhile, South Africa was quietly getting it done too, winning against the other three with ease, and then disaster struck. Literally disaster. Typhoon Hagibus uh, has killed and injured and wiped out um, all sorts of stuff over in Japan, and it's horrendous. Part of this, obviously, um, some matches were cancelled. New Zealand versus Italy and Namibia versus Cancer in our pool due to massive flooding and landslides in the vicinity of the stadium and decisions of safety being made for everybody, you know. Meaning that all cancelled games, and there were more than the ones I've just mentioned, cancelled, counted as a draw, with both teams getting two points each, and heads were actually under the chopping block because of it. France didn't get to see if they could take out the top spot in their pool from um, England, and Italy didn't get a chance to make the quarters, really, as a win from New- with New Zealand would have potentially done it, depending on the margin of the win. Not that that would have happened, but it's kind of sad they didn't get to try, you know? Also, Canada is a bunch of cuties. When their game got cancelled, they went out into the city of Kamaishi and helped with the cleanup efforts. A super admirable response to a disappointing situation for their team because they were hoping that that particular game was going to be their Rugby World Cup win that they could feel pleased with, and they never even got to play it. So um, pretty sweet that they just went out and you know, helped with the cleanup instead. Anyway, even with all of this chaos going on, New Zealand made it to the top of their pool with 16 points and South Africa coming in close behind on 15. The top two of each pool go through to the quarterfinals and the top three qualify for World Cup 2023. So who else is in the quarters with us? Well, that would be England and France, Japan and Ireland, Wales and Australia. In fact, in four days at 7.15pm New Zealand time, New Zealand will be playing our first game of the quarters against Ireland. And if we win that, we have to beat the winner of England versus Australia in their quarter game in order to make it to the final. Usually New Zealand hits on top spots, but it's a hard road ahead of us with these games particularly. I have faith. Though, I'm just ignoring that weird 2007 blip on our radar of our otherwise spotless history of making New Zealand proud. I look forward to bringing the Webb Ellis Cup back home again. Yep, the Webb Ellis Cup, named after the same student who picked up a football and ran with it. 
So some key tips to faking watching a game, because those of you who now might want to go out and watch a rugby game because you're like, oh, I know what's happening here. I might go support New Zealand. I know some chick who talked about it for a god-awful time on her podcast. I'm sorry. I rambled. Anyway, um, some key tips for you for faking watching a game and being a super player. Find out what colour shirts your team wears before the game. All blacks. I'll give you a clue. Usually black. Uh, a quick Google will tell you that if you want to vote for a particular team, though. Uh, it helps to yell gruffly and incoherently at the TV when your side has the ball. But if you really want to sell it, you need to put the words into it. And so I've got you covered on that, too. If our team has the ball, run, your mongrel. If our team catches a ball, good hands. If the other team don't catch it and it bounces away, knock on and sort of do it accusingly. Uh, if they seem to be huddled and moving kind of together, use it or lose it. And that's referring to the ball, of course. If they're huddled and pushing, you might hear a low rumble around you if other people are watching the rugby with you as people go heave as they encourage their team to push. If it isn't clear what's going on and you need to see more and people seem to be standing around, kind of, go upstairs. That's not referring to uh, going upstairs physically, but it referring to the telematch official who can slow everything down for you and give you a few camera angles. If the ref pu pulls a red card, what are you doing, ref? Try to do that for your team, but sometimes it's hard to, you know, figure that out. Uh, if your team is, God forbid, losing at the half break, just drop a cheeky, it's a game of two halves, you'll see nods and people perking up all around you as they nod and agree with you. It is. It is a game of two halves. You're right, mate. You're absolutely right. And they will go get themselves another beer, probably. Uh, and just any time during the game, yelling, come on, usually works pretty damn well. Oh, and a bit of the cute side of Rugby World Cup trivia. Did you know that they've decided to remove all mention of men's or women's from any World Cup rugby name now? So the next huge women's tournament will be officially titled as the 2021 Rugby World Cup. And that will be held in New Zealand. And I'm super excited about that. And I'm definitely getting tickets. Okay, that is enough of me talking about the Rugby World Cup. If you have questions or you want to scream at me about who your team is and how they're going to take my team down, I would love to hear all of that. So please, please, please call in. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan and I will be watching all the games. So love to you all about that. Okay, so up next is my favorite segment of this whole podcast, my sparkling gems who call in I love you and we're starting with Joe from Hindsightless chatting about my last episode Adventure Awaits Joe's Gems Hey Jules it's Joe uh, that catapult sounds amazing bungee jumping I don't know about but someone wants to shoot me out of something I am totally down and a uh, hundred kilometers an hour works out to roughly about 62 miles an hour, which is the speed of a lot of the 
like freeways and stuff around here. I think 65 miles and I don't drive, so I don't know, but it's, it's pretty fast, man. It's pretty fast, but I am down to get shot out of a catapult for sure. So if I ever make it out there, I am absolutely going to do that. All right. Hope you're having a good day. Peace out. So you totally don't have to play all of these, but I just wanted to say that your skydiving story is dope. And uh, I've been skydiving once too. It was right when I went away to university for the first time when I was like 19. I'd been there about a week or so and just some people went by in uh, the dorm and were like, hey, we're going skydiving. You want to come? And I was like, sure. Hell yeah. So I went there. I wore a Superman shirt, so I knew I'd be safe. Uh, here, you the first time you go skydiving, you have to do it tandem. So they have somebody strapped to your back. The dude who is strapped to my back looked just like Joe Pesci, which was amazing. We go up in the plane, and you could either pay for the video or pay to go higher. And so, of course, I was like, yeah, I'm going higher. And so I'm almost out of time. All right. So when the people who were going at a lower altitude, jumping at a lower altitude, went, I looked out and was like, holy shit, I'm up really high. So we went up another couple thousand feet and we're standing in the door of the plane and Joe Pesci on my back is like, you ready to go? And I said, no way. And we just jumped and it was the gnarliest thing. Uh, I'd done it once. I don't know if I do it again, but the smartest decision I ever made was to not tell my mom about it until after I had hit the ground. And for that, she still thanks me to this day. All right, that's enough for me. Okay, so for starters, Joey, thank you for doing the math for me. Uh, 100K is actually what the motorways are in New Zealand too. So sounds like we're driving about the same kind of speed down our motorways, which is pretty sweet. Um, I can't wait to watch you shoot out of a catapult, so please get over to New Zealand and I would totally host you and that would be off the Richter, bro. Um, I personally would be terrified with Joe PC on my back um, and I never told my mother either um, because she would have killed me. <laughs> like, definitely killed me instead of just the maybe fear of jumping out of a plane. <laughs> anyway, next up, is Spencer. Kia ora Jules, Spencer here. Sorry, I'm only about five minutes in to your latest episode and I've had to call in. Um, yes, I've done the Tim Tam Slam. Wow, what an experience that was. It's right up there with jumping out of an aeroplane over Lake Taupo. Woo! And uh, yeah, I don't know why you guys would bother with potato chips when you've got Coomera chips. Uh, that sweet potato for all you foreigners out there. And sour cream dip. Man, oh, what a combination. Um, man, I miss your country. Hold on, Jules, hold on. Wait a minute. The first one in the plane is the most scared? I was the last one in the plane. And I was terrified. Now, because I was the last one in the plane... I had to open the freaking door. And it's not a regular plain door. This is a flap of canvas. So I'm on my knees in front of a canvas flap, unfastening it at the bottom, rolling it up above my head and securing it all the time, hanging out of an open plain doorway. And 
Ah, oh, just, I mean, the actual jump itself was amazing. You're out of that plane, you flip round, you look back at the plane, and in a split second, it's like you're half a mile away from it already. And then you're just flying. And I don't know if you had this, but as I was coming in over the clouds, you look down and you can see a full circular rainbow below you and you are heading towards the center of it and the closer you get the the more it draws in until it kind of you you meet it at the moment it disappears and you're through the clouds and um then the next thing i knew the shoot was opening and that was the end of my flight but at the time it was kind of the style to have kind of not have your laces tied up on your trainers or sneakers or whatever you call them. And um, I spent that whole time hanging from the parachute, willing my shoes not to fall off. So I love that you called five minutes into the episode because five minutes into the episode would have been about 15 minutes after I posted it. It was like quarter past midnight. I was just going into bed because I'd finished recording it and releasing it. And I was like, yay, it's done. I can go to sleep. And just before I went to sleep, I already got my first call in. And you made my night, basically. So I wanted to say that. Um... Kuma and sour dip, sour cream dip is now on my list of things that I need to talk about and cover because you're right, it's amazing. Um, the last ten I could not have dealt with absolutely at all. Like full credit to you, um, I would have jumped off the plane before we'd taken off, which I think is why they do it. Uh, yeah, no, I couldn't have dealt with that, and I didn't see the rainbow because I had my eyes closed, like pretty much for that whole time. So. I missed something really beautiful, it sounds like. So that's sad. Um, and the thought of you losing your shoes cracked me up so much. And I was thinking about that. And it surprises me that more people don't, like, lose things. We don't hear about people. Because I'm sure they do lose things. But um, we don't hear about it. Like, they are pretty careful about their security. But it just seems to me that some dumbass would probably drop their cell phone um, while they were skydiving because they couldn't let go of it out of their hand. I mean, doesn't that seem right to you? It does to me. <laughs> and next up, last but nowhere near least, is Laren. Hey Jules, it's Laren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Okay, well, I've heard of people giving people animals for holidays, which is certainly quite ridiculous, but a breakup gift? That's a new one. I can remember when I was young, my parents got us rabbits for Easter, and then they made us keep them outside, and it wasn't too long before they got out of the cage and they were gone. Because of course it wasn't like, you know, a fancy cage, it was just some wire fencing that my dad kind of threw together. So I learned my lesson about pets as gifts early. Bad idea, Ripley. Bad idea. See, I just got that quote wrong. Oh, my nerd card is in question. Anyways, loving the episode. Back I go. Oh my gosh, that meow song is awesome. Not only is it hilarious and the lyrics made me laugh, you are an incredible singer. <laughs> so talented. A good podcaster too. Look at you go. Anyway, thank you so much for sharing that. I look forward to hearing more. Have a good one. 
Hey Jules, I'm finally catching up on your episodes. I have been woefully negligent of listening to podcasts because life has been so busy lately. But I just wanted to say, Colin left out a very important thing about terminology. We don't just call them fries. We call them French fries. So, I have no idea where that came from. Anyway, loving your show. Have a good one. It's leering again. Goodness, you have inspired me to send you a bunch of comments. <laughs> I am wondering, you just said something that made me think. You said takeaways. We call it fast food or takeout. And I have no idea what they call it in Britain. I don't know what they call it in other countries. Or Scotland or, or Wales or any of those places. Uh, my geography is horrid, if you can't tell. Anyways... I am loving all of this conversation about terminology and and what different people call things because that always fascinates me. It's like I live in the South in America now and I call carbonated beverages pop. That's what we called it in Michigan where I grew up. But down here they call it soda. Well, whenever they say that, I'm thinking baking soda. Who drinks baking soda? But I have no idea what anyone else calls baking soda. <laughs> Thanks, Liren. Liren is referring to uh, the Marmite episode, which talks about my cat, and I sing a little bit. Um, also, French fries, you're totally right, although I do actually know the answer to this one. Um, they're talking about the style of cooking of the chip, so it's prepared in the French way, um, which is generally with a lot of oil, um, which is pretty reminiscent of most French cooking, to be honest, only usually it's butter. Um, same kind of diff. It was um, either French or Belgium who um, created the French fry. It's really hard to say because it happened back in World War One, and the Belgian army spoke French anyway, so therefore French fry. So, ta-da! I actually knew that one without having to research. Um, but something I didn't know and actually did research, because you got me thinking about it as well, is the whole takeaway, takeaways, fast food thing. Um, because here in New Zealand, we do tend to say takeaways with an S. And I don't know why that is, but I noticed in the UK, they say takeaway, just like one away, which kind of does make sense. I don't really know why New Zealand's added extra letters onto it, but we do tend to do that. And I didn't realize that in the States it's take out. Um, so that's cool. Um, it's a cool song too. Uh, so yeah, but I Googled it because I was curious as to see if there's anybody, like if there are any other terms that is used. And the only one I really came across was in India, they say parcel instead of take out or takeaways, apparently, according to the internet, that is. So I'd be interested to know if that's um, a real thing. But yeah, there you go, Laren. I'm enjoying this chat too. Keep them coming. Anyway, thanks for listening to this week's episode where I got to rave about something dear to my heart. Cool blacks! And thanks to Spencer, Joe, and Laren for your cute call-ins. You make this so much easier because I feel like I'm starting to get to know you all and um, really enjoy our chats. So as a treat for all of you special anchor listeners, as usual, I've included a song snippet for you. This one's from the Howard Morrison Quartet called My Old Man's an All Black. It's a parody of My Old Man's Adjustment, and it's pretty relevant to the chaos that was going on at the time when it was recorded in 1960, which is when the Maldives weren't allowed to tour with their team to South Africa. 
So um, for everybody else, I've included it in the public Spotify playlist, also called Jills from NZ, and I do encourage you to go listen to it. Even if it's just to hear the full vocal support that that song got, which is very reminiscent for how the country felt at the time. Also to hear a really good use of hori as a slang derogatory yet kind of friendly term that Māori use to describe themselves and others, hori. Um, it's not really used a lot anymore in a slightly more PC world that we live in now. It's still kind of around. Um, to be honest, I haven't done a lot of research around the word hori, so maybe there's a lot of badness to it. Don't know. Uh, I should probably investigate that. Um, anyway, next week I'm going to be coming back to something I've talked about doing before if you were on the Twitter voting, New Zealand money. It's going to happen, so see you back here for that next week. So kia ora, aroha nui, and kakite ano.